Come to the movie loot. The sun shines bright. The topics are wide and inviting. And the episodes stretch as far as the eye can see. There are films aplenty. Every working man can join the loot. And inside every streaming service, there's a happy listener. Life is good in the movie loot. It's paradise on earth. <laughs> That's what they tell you anyway. Because they're selling an image. They're selling it through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Yep, you think this podcast was the Garden of Eden. But there's trouble in paradise. And it's because his hose is a mess. Remember, dear listeners, you heard it here first. Off the record, on the QT, and very hush, hush. Hello looters, welcome to the movie loot. This is special episode number 18. The special episodes that come out every other month where the loot is a specific scene I love from a film I love. I take that scene, break it apart, analyze it, see why it works. If this is the first of these special episodes that you listen to and you think they're special, then go back and check previous ones we've done on everything and anything from scenes from The Godfather 1 and 2, Psycho, The Silence of the Lambs, Good Will Hunting, Alien, Transformers the Movie, and many more. Latest one we did was on Face Off, and that was a real special one as I talk about the scene where Castor Troy, as Sean Archer, visits Sean Archer, as Castor Troy, in that maximum security prison. Really fun scene. One of the reasons why I did that scene from Face Off in April was because Face Off was directed by John Woo, and back in April I was a guest on Binge Movies with Jason, and we covered John Woo's films, so I was kind of on a Woo kick. So that kick kinda extended into this special episode by proxy, because the film I'm gonna talk about is one that I think draws a lot of inspirations from Woo films, especially The Killer, and that film is 1997's LA Confidential, specifically the closing shootout at the Victory Motel. Now be warned, like all my special episodes, this will be an in-depth discussion, so the film will be spoiled. Massively. If you still haven't seen LA Confidential, and you've never had it spoiled, I implore you to stop this and go check it out. It's excellent, and as of now, streaming free on Plex, but it's also available for rent on many streaming services. So let's begin. They were three cops who had nothing in common. Freeze! Big V, what are you doing here? Hey, you know me, I'm keeping the streets safe, boys. One would do anything to get ahead. You're truly prepared to be despised within an apartment? Yes, sir, I am. One had his own brand of justice. How's it gonna look in your report? It'll look like justice. That's what the man got. And one loved the spotlight. What exactly do you do on the show, Jack? I teach Brett Chase how to walk and talk like a cop. The Night Owl Massacre. This is a heinous crime that requires swift resolution. Six victims. One of them, one of our own. Interrogations will be led by Lieutenant Edmund Exley. I need some backup. Come on. All right, college boy, I'll help. Now, all of them are faced with solving one case. Don't move! I want confessions, Edmund. Oh, I'll break them, sir. These people are all in the morgue. And someone has to pay for it. There's something wrong with the night owl. They thought they had it all figured out. Anything bothering you about the Night Owl case? The fact that you guys won't let it get filed away. I didn't kill nobody! But what started as a murder... You talk only to me on this one. ...became a mystery that could cost them everything. 
Why was Susan Leffert at the Night Owl? I don't know. I never heard of the Night Owl till today. How about some payback, big time? We need evidence. I'll get the evidence. It was an information exchange. Do you have any proof? The proof had his throat slit. What do you want, actually? I just want to solve this thing. Even if it means paying the consequences? Russell Crowe, Guy Pearce, James Cromwell, Kim Basinger, Danny DeVito. L.A. Confidential. So to set things up, L.A. Confidential is an American neo-noir crime film directed, produced, and co-written by Curtis Hanson. It was written by Hanson and Brian Helgeland and is based on James Elroy's novel of the same name. The film was a critical and commercial success, grossing $126 million against a $35 million budget. It received almost unanimous acclaim from critics who praised the performances, the writing, direction, editing, and score. It was nominated for nine Academy Awards, including Best Picture, and it ended up winning Best Supporting Actress and Best Adapted Screenplay. That was the year that Titanic rolled over everything else. The film, which is set in the 1950s, follows a trio of LAPD officers, Edmund Exley, played by Guy Pearce, Bud White, played by Russell Crowe, and Jack Vincennes, played by Kevin Spacey, as they try to tackle a ring of police corruption and the drug underworld. The three officers, who don't know each other that much, or at least aren't friends, take different and unique routes in their investigations that end up intersecting. Everything ends in a climatic shootout at the CD Victory Motel, and that's the scene that I want to talk about. So to analyze that scene, I'm going to talk about four things. Number one, the setup. Like I said before, LA Confidential is set in the 1950s world of crime and police corruption. It opens with a montage that shows us how drug lord Mickey Cohen was apprehended for tax evasion, leaving a void in the drug business. A void that someone has been filling in, murdering rival drug dealers and mobsters. Then we're introduced to our three main characters. First, Bud White, a good-natured but thuggish officer that is not shy to torture women beaters. Captain Dudley Smith, played by James Cromwell, often uses him as a muscle when torturing up-and-coming criminals. Then we have Jack Vincennes, played by Spacey, a more seasoned narcotics detective that also serves as an advisor for a cop show and seems to have forgotten about his duties while being caught up in all that Hollywood glamour. Finally, we have Ed Exley, played by Pierce, a young and ambitious officer that's trying to follow the path of his deceased father. Captain Smith describes him as a political animal, since he's not shy to climb the ladder, even at the expense of others. As we're introduced to Exley, there is a very important conversation he has with Captain Smith as he reveals he wants to pursue being a detective. Smith, who is against the idea, asks Exley a set of three questions. I saw the test results on the lieutenant's exam. First out of 23. What'll it be then? Patrol division and journal affairs? What? I was thinking detective bureau. Edmund, you're a political animal. You have the eye for human weakness, but not the stomach. You're wrong, sir. Would you be willing to plant corroborative evidence on a suspect you knew to be guilty in order to ensure an indictment? Dudley, we've been over this. Yes or no, Edmund? No. Would you be willing to beat a confession out of a suspect you knew to be guilty? No. 
Would you be willing to shoot a hardened criminal in the back in order to offset the chance that some lawyer... No. Then, for the love of God, don't be a detective. Stick to assignments where you don't have to make those kind of choices. Dudley, I know you mean well, but I don't need to do it the way you did. Or my father. At least get rid of the glasses. I can't think of a single man in the bureau who wears them. Exley, being the straight arrow officer he is, obviously answers in the negative to all three questions, which Smith rebukes since he considers those to be necessary evils to sometimes apprehend criminals and stop crime. The thing is that through the course of the film, these three officers discover an intricate web of police corruption that involves high-ranking government agents and law enforcement officers like the district attorney, but most notably Captain Smith himself, who had been taking over Mickey Cohen's drug business while framing others for their killings. Tony Stampinato told me that Meeks had heroin for sale. Meeks ends up dead. Stensland dies at the night owl. It wasn't the Negroes. The rape victim lied in her statement. The first guys to the Mercury Coop were Bruning and Carlisle. Dudley's guys. They planted the shotguns. And they'd have killed the Negroes too if Jack and I hadn't shown up. Dudley framed them because they were Negroes and had records. And he knew there'd be no questions asked if they were... They were killed resisting arrest. Somehow this is all connected to Jack's angle. Sid Hutchins, the pictures to blackmail Alice Lowe. A kid got murdered. If we're going to figure this out, we need to work together. Why are you doing this? The night owl made you. You want to tear all that down? With a wrecking ball. You want to help me swing it? Which leads me into my second point, which I'm going to call expectations and realities. And it's really interesting how we're introduced to Exley's principles and expectations as a police officer. He will always do the right thing, evidenced by that exchange with Smith and those three questions. However, as the film progresses and we see them go through their investigation, Exley ends up doing some of these things that Smith asked him about. At one point, leading White to beat a confession out of the district attorney, who was being blackmailed by Smith, to allow him to have more freedom with his rock business. Unless you came here to wipe my ass, I believe we're through. Come on, don't pull that good cop, bad cop crap. I practically invented it. So what if some homo actor is dead, huh? Boys, girls, ten of them get off the bus to L.A. every day. Ah! 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 <laughs> I don't know how. Now, I know you think you're the number one hotshot, but here's the juice. If I take you out, ten more lawyers will take your place tomorrow. They just won't come on the bus, that's all. Hey, hey, oh, oh my God! I, I wouldn't play ball till they set 
up, and then I gave in, but the kid heard everything. Oh, oh so they killed him. Why? What are Dudley and Patchett up to? They're taking over Mickey Cohn's rackets because because of those pictures. I I I couldn't prosecute them. Oh Jesus, help me out! Is that how you used to run the good cop, bad cop? There is also the reckoning of Exley's goals to live up to the image of his father, something that he confesses to White in a climatic moment in their final standoff with Smith and his thugs. Here, clip. All I ever wanted was to measure up to my father. Now's your chance. He died in the line of duty, didn't he? It is a funny exchange that adds some levity to a moment of extreme tension, but it also puts a spotlight on the reasons that we do things. Exley is coming face to face with the harsh truth that everything he thought about the Force is essentially a lie. All the values and virtues he took for granted are useless, so him wanting to measure up to those values and virtues might feel like futile right now because they're non-existent. Which is probably why he has been slowly eroding in his positions and caving into the things that he swore he would never do, like beating up a confession out of a suspect he knew to be guilty, something that has led him to this shootout. And that's the third thing I want to talk about, the shootout. And this is more from a technical standpoint. After their encounter with the DA and finding out that Smith is tying loose ends, killing other characters that were involved in this ring of corruption, both Exley and White are lured into the Victory Motel, the place where White had beaten up confessions out of so many people at the orders of Smith. Soon they realize that they've been led into an ambush, and as they take shelter in one of the rooms, Exley and White have that exchange I mentioned before, and then they're served hordes of nameless thugs pouring in from everywhere. This standoff reminds me of two films, Assault on Precinct 13 and John Woo's The Killer. And I'm going to latch on to that last one because I thought it was really interesting as I took that dive into John Woo's Hong Kong filmography a couple of months ago. And when I was watching the last act of The Killer, all I could think of was this shootout in LA Confidential. I don't know if or how Hanson was inspired, but the parallelisms to Woo's film seem so clear to me that I wouldn't doubt it. Aside from that, the way that Hanson handles the tension and the thrills as we see our officers take on this endless stream of thugs is masterful, leading into the inevitable face-off with the main bad guy. And that's the fourth thing I want to talk about, which I'm referring to as shooting hardened criminals in the back. Of course, things don't always work the way we want. In a climatic moment, when Smith is about to shoot Exley, White intervenes and ends up shot multiple times by Smith. And this is when he tries to appeal to Exley's political animal angle. Are you going to shoot me? Or arrest me? Good lad. Always the politician. But let me do the talking. After I've done, that will make you chief of detectives.
Hold up your badge, so they'll know you're a policeman. Smith is obviously trying to leverage his way out and as you see Exley's face, you really don't know where things will fall, but in a great moment as Smith is walking away from Exley, sirens in the background, hands in the air, Exley ends up shooting him in the back. Again, going back to that final question that Smith himself had asked him, would you be willing to shoot a hardened criminal in the back in order to offset the chance that some lawyer could get him off on a technicality? So this is yet another shot that I think was inspired by the killer, because that's pretty much how the killer ends. Not with a police captain shot, but with the lead character shooting a hardened criminal in the back in order to offset the chance that some lawyer could get him off on a technicality. It's great. So I really love the way that the film circles back to those three questions, confronting Exley and us in the audience with how complicated these choices are. It's a very cynical and bleak take on things, but I love the way it presents it. To wrap things up, at the end of the movie, Exley is being interrogated about the events and the aftermath, and he pretty much dishes out everything in detail as you see the police chief and the DA facepalming themselves as they agree to promote him and sweep everything under the rug in order to protect the image of the LAPD. Beginning with the incarceration of Mickey Cohen, Captain Smith has been assuming control of organized crime in the city of Los Angeles. This includes the assassinations of an unknown number of Mickey Cohen lieutenants, the systematic blackmail of city officials, and the murders of Susan Lefferts, Pierce Patchett, Sid Hutchins, and Sergeant Jack Vincennes. Captain Smith admitted as much to me before I shot him at the Victory Motel. That's it. We're in the wrong place. Well, the press is going to have a field day with this. This. Christ, it'll stay in the department for years. Decades. If we can get the kid to play ball, who's to say what happened? Maybe Dudley Smith died a hero. Good idea. Hmm? Yeah, we can get the press to play. You want to tell me what you're smiling about? A hero. How do you know what we were talking about? It couldn't have hurt us. And? In this situation, you'll need more than one. It is with great pleasure that I present this award to Detective Lieutenant Edmund Exley, two-time Medal of Valor recipient. And although I have my research with the execution of this scene and having the character spell everything out, I do love the fact that it goes back to who Exley is. Despite everything that he has gone through, he is still the political animal. Only that this time he's aware that he's being used, so he's taking advantage of it. It's an almost perfect closure to an almost perfect film.
So those are my thoughts on that excellent closing scene from LA Confidential, an ending that still remains one of my favorite endings to one of my favorite films ever. As usual, I asked my friends on Twitter to share their thoughts on LA Confidential, favorite scenes, anything, and this is what I got. My friend Sylvie at Sly underscore Wit said, No particular scene stand out, but I remember that when I went back to it a few years ago, I was pleasantly surprised at how well it held up with a great script and interesting camera work. What didn't hold up? The shoddy treatment of women. But that's noir for you. My friend Emerald Blue at Headhunter Solly said, The choice is simple for me. She is Lana Turner. Referring to the scene where Jack Vincennes and Ed Exley meet Lana Turner. Like Emerald Blue says, it's the biggest chuckle of the movie. My friend Mel Valentin at Real Mel Valentin said, The final spacey Cromwell scene in the latter's kitchen, actors at peak performance, slowly escalating tension, misdirected trust, and a sudden decisive exit for one of the characters. And I definitely agree. I still remember my reaction back when I first saw this, and it's just an amazing moment. My friend Phil Sagan said, Loved it. I think it's a film about daddy issues in a macho-centric era. Crow despising what his father was and terrified he's that too, and Pierce's obsession with finding the murderer of his dad by proxy. Basinger's inverse of the Madonna slash whore is the ideal love interest. My friend Jerry Sarabia at Jerry at the Movie said, One of the toughest, nastiest, most uncompromising and violent of all noirs. All the more so considering it is based on the book by James Elroy. Hecubot at Hecubot99 said, Incredible job by Hansen adapting the novel. I know he spent years working on the screenplay, but he nailed it. Also notable that they needed two Aussie actors to play 50s Americans. There's no American actor of that age that could have played but. And my friend Anders Holmes at Fabricius91 said, One of my favorites. It is an exceptionally made film and a perfect example of a modern noir. The cast is perfect for each of the characters they play. Brian Helgeland and Curtis Hanson did a great job at adapting James Elroy's massively complex story. Best adaptation of his work. Thanks to everybody for sharing their thoughts. If you want to listen to more special episodes, stay tuned for our next one in a couple of months. And if you just want to hear me talk about movies, then check out any of our latest episodes. There's our episode 85, The May Loot, where me and critic Mel Valentin talk about the films we saw in May. Before that, there's episode 85, The Hidden Loot, where me and Justin from the Film Effect podcast talk about hidden gems and little-known films that we love. So there's a lot of stuff to check out and catch up with. Also, stay tuned for more regular episodes, which might come in a bit of a random frantic order as I try to settle back in the steady release schedule, if I ever had one. Finally, if you like this breakdown and have any thoughts to share, look me up on Twitter at my personal account at TFCGT or the podcast account at TMML2021. We always love getting feedback from people. Let us know what you thought of the episode, but also share it with others so more people can join us in the loot. So that'll be it for this episode. Remember, dear listeners, you heard it here first, off the record, on the QT, and very hush, hush. Some men get the world. Others get ex-hookers and a trip to Arizona.